Well, greetings and salutations in the name of our Lord. In today's devotional, we're going to continue Peter's discussion with the Christians in Asia Minor. Now remember that he is writing to a diaspora, uh, an exiled group of Christian believers, Jewish Christian believers primarily, who have left Jerusalem behind and find themselves in a culture that is not all so much friendly to their culture. Israel was becoming more and more of an irritant to Rome. And Christianity was becoming more and more considered as a uh, seditious, anti-government move. And the culture in which these believers found themselves in was becoming increasingly hostile to them. So Peter's letter is addressing those groups in that situation. Now, what's amazing to me, and this is just amazing to me, personally, because I'd never considered it before, is that we have looked at John and we have looked at Paul in letters that they wrote toward the end of their lives. Now we're looking at Peter's letter that he wrote toward the end of his life. And each one has an overall message and basically is this is how a Christian behaves. John says a Christian loves God and loves his neighbor. Paul would tell Timothy, yes, love God, love your neighbor, and think correctly. This is what a Christian looks like when they think correctly and act correctly. Peter's message is, this is how you act when you're surrounded by a culture that is in fact your enemy. And it's coming down to behavior. This is what a Christian should behave like. And I, God is focusing my attention on my life in this matter. So with that in mind, let's get started with today's devotional as we finish up 1 Peter chapter 3. I hope you're having a fabuloso day. Uh, today we're going to finish up chapter 3 of First Peter. And um, as is my a practice that I've developed, I've discovered that if I don't keep in mind the context of what it is I'm looking at or reading, I can go off on a tangent. And perhaps see a Bible verse saying something that the original writer didn't mean to mean. And that the original recipients didn't understand it to mean. A good example might be, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You take that verse all by itself, 1 Corinthians. And all of a sudden, you can make it say, I can run a marathon in under... Uh, four hours. I can climb to the top top of the tallest mountain. I can, you know, you you put you have this whole list of things that would be otherwise impossible for you, but you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. And 
that is a possible translation of that verse and a possible application of that verse. Let me gotta hide my messy room behind me. But in truth, when Paul wrote that to the Corinthians, he just got done telling them, he says, I've learned what it's like to live with plenty. I've learned what it's like to live without. I've gone with, I've gone without. But it matters not because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. His primary concern for writing that sentence was to encourage his fellow believers that you can live through many difficult circumstances or good circumstances because Christ is there. Now that doesn't totally exclude all the other things, but you can see that the primary motivation for him writing that sentence was to encourage them in a slightly different direction, not to tell them that they can uh, do extraordinary things through Jesus. You can, but that's not his point. And that's my point. Sometimes you can look at a scripture and it appears by itself to say something, but then when you put it within the context of everything else, its meaning becomes even more clear. And when you're when you're reading something to study and get the truth out of it, find out what it's saying, it's not just enough to read that sentence. You have to look before it. You have to look after it. You have to uh, take into consideration the recipients, the author, the circumstances that the author is in when he wrote this, the circumstances that the recipients are in when they write when they read this for the first time. So, having said that, just let me reestablish the context of what brings us up to chapter 3, and that will give us a framework to judge the end of chapter 3 in. So, chapter 1, we have a hope that's so incredible, the angels want to look into it. Because of this, because that this thing we have, this salvation we have, is so precious and so incredible, Be holy because God is holy. The one who gifted you the salvation is holy. And then he goes on to tell us what holy looks like. Rid yourself of malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. He goes on to tell us that Jesus is the cornerstone of our faith. The purpose of the cornerstone of a building is that it orients the building so that it faces in the right direction. Placing the cornerstone, especially in the first century, was of utmost importance. Well, Jesus is our cornerstone. He orients us. Our life should face the same direction that his life did. We should go in the direction and point in the direction that he points. Submitting to Submit to governing authorities. Do not retaliate. Don't use your freedom as a cover for doing evil. We have freedom. And I'm constantly reminded how in the United States we have a lot of freedom that other nations do not have. But though we have freedom, don't use it as a cover for doing evil. In other words, those things above, malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. Just because we're free to say things and free to do things doesn't mean that all things should be done and all things should be said. Don't use your freedom for doing evil. Then in chapter 3, he talks about wives submitting to their husbands. He's talking specifically to wives with unbelieving husbands. And he's not talking about being a doormat. And he tells husbands, 
act in the same way to your wives. In other words, there's a mutual submission deal that goes on between a husband and wife. I submit to my wife in certain areas because I would be remiss if I didn't acknowledge her ability in certain areas of our marriage that's that's better than I am. Her handling of finances, her record keeping, her detail-oriented personality, so necessary in my life. And I defer to her in many ways. Everybody be sympathetic and love one another. Don't repay evil with evil. That's primarily chapter three. And then he goes on, he's talking when he's talking about submitting to uh when he's talking about submitting to authorities, uh he's writing to a people that are exiles. He's writing to um, an audience that has been removed from their Jewish culture because they're exiles, they're diaspora. Rome is setting siege to uh, Jerusalem and Jerusalem is soon to fall and the temple will be destroyed. Jews are scattering, they're running and many of them settled in Asia Minor and Peter is writing to the, these Jewish believers saying, you know, you're exiles here. And your love that you show for one another, the way you interact with your spouses is going to be way different than the culture you you find yourself immersed in. So now we come up to chapter 3. Uh, let's see, make sure I get this right here. We're going to come up to chapter 3, and we're going to finish off chapter 3. Who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. Now, this is interesting. Another translation I read said, don't fear what they fear. Who's the they? It's the culture, the world that you find yourself in. He's telling the diaspora, the exiles, you, your culture is not this culture. You belong to something other than the world you find yourself living in. Don't fear what they fear. Don't be sucked into fearing what this alien and foreign culture that surrounds you fears. In Isaiah 8, Israel, under Syrian domination, is warned not to be drawn into the fears and conspiracy theories of the surrounding Assyrian culture and of their own culture, I might add, because uh, Judah and Israel have separated and there's northern and southern kingdom and there were conspiracies galore. There was fear and there was constant fear of military campaigns against them. And Israel is warned not to be drawn into the fears and conspiracy theories of the surrounding culture. Good advice to Christians in Asia Minor in the first century. Good advice for us now. We are exiles living in a culture that is foreign, that in essence is our enemy. Don't be sucked into fearing what our culture is fearing. In Isaiah chapter 8, it's really interesting, it says, 
Do not call conspiracy everything that this people calls a conspiracy. This is the word of God to the people who were under Assyrian influence and who were in the middle of the destruction and fall of uh, Israel's uh, kingdom. Do not call conspiracy everything that this people calls a conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear and do not dread it. The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread. I can't think of a more contemporary word for our time, for believers. Had a wonderful conversation online with a bunch of people where I was asking, what is, what should the Christian response be to what's going on around us with the pandemic and our in America of the pandemic and the political climate? What should our response be? And I got many, many good responses. And it was a wonderful, wonderful discussion. But man, the conspiracy theories that are whirling around us are amazing to listen to sometimes. And God's word to us, I believe, is the same word that he sent to Israel back in those days. Don't call, don't call conspiracy what everything that this people calls a conspiracy. Don't fear what they fear. Do not dread it. The world will be constantly flooded with wars and rumors of war. The world will be constantly flooded with fear and conspiracies because that's the art of war is designed by the enemy of our soul. Don't get sucked into that. Don't fear what they fear. Do not dread it because God is sovereign. And that's why, you know, I've said before and I'll say it again. I don't care if you get your vaccination. I don't care if you do get your vaccination. Do what your conscience tells you to do and realize that the sovereign God will fix everything. You've got a sovereign God takes care of everything. If you choose not to get your vac the vaccination, place your life in the hands of God. Continue to ask for wisdom and guidance and believe that God will take care of you because he's sovereign. If you do believe that you need the vaccination, you get it. And again, same thing. You're putting yourself in the hands of a sovereign God who will meet all your needs and take care of you. God is sovereign. I don't expect every Christian to believe as I do, except in one aspect. I expect every Christian to recognize that God is sovereign. He is overall. He will take care of us. The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy, Isaiah said. He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread. Our God is sovereign. Don't call conspiracy what these people call a conspiracy. Don't get sucked into that game. Don't get sucked into the game of being afraid. God is good. Now, does that mean whether you take the vaccine or not take the vaccine, does that mean that uh, you're going to be delivered from COVID-19? Don't know. Maybe. Maybe not. Some people die from COVID. Some people don't. Some people take the vaccine and still get sick. Some people don't take the vaccine and don't get sick. 
Many people take the vaccine and don't get sick. People who don't take the vaccine get sick. There's, there's no rhyme or reason to it. The world and the enemy of our soul would have you get caught up in the fear of COVID. And get caught up in the fear and the conspiracies and all the fear that they generate. But what our government is taking from us and putting us into and putting us through and demanding this, demanding that. Don't call conspiracy everything this people call a conspiracy. It's a good word. A good word for us today. Starting with verse 15. But instead, ooh, but. When you see the word but, it means instead of the other thing, do this thing. So instead of getting sucked into conspiracies and fear and dread, instead of that, do this. In your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. For instance, why are you not afraid of the threats, fears, and conspiracies? Why doesn't COVID frighten you? Why doesn't what the government is saying and doing and attempting to do, why does that not bring fear into your life? Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who wants to know that. Why do you have this hope? Why are you sailing through this time of fear and conspiracy with such equanimity, with such calm and serene spirit? Always be prepared to give that answer to why. But, he says, do this with gentleness and respect. Give your answer, but not combatively, not with the spirit of being defensive or being angry. The picture here is a Christian whose faith is totally and completely in God, who is not afraid of what the world does. And if the world system and this COVID kills us, so be it. I'm not afraid. Everybody has to die sometimes. I'm not afraid. If I get, if God takes me out with COVID, I'm okay with that. God takes me out with a heart attack. I'm okay with that. If God takes me out by letting a bus hit me, I'm okay with that. Because God is sovereign. He is overall. So always be ready to give a reason for this hope that you have. That's taking you through this time of uncertainty. Do it with gentleness and respect. Keeping a clear conscience. So that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Now, we can behave badly as Christians, and we see that. And I know probably, I don't have to detail that. So many people uh, probably can give you example after example after example of people behaving badly in the name of Jesus. But do it with gentleness and respect. Give the reason for the hope that you have, why you're not capitulating and caving to the fear and conspiracy theories. Do it with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior will just look dumb, will be ashamed of their slander. For it is better, if it's God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. I like that statement, for it's better, if it's God's will, to suffer for being for doing good. You won't find that verse 
in promise boxes, promise verse boxes, will you? Sometimes it is God's will to suffer. It's better if it's God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. This does not guarantee that we will escape suffering. Even if we do the aforementioned, not get sucked into conspiracy, not get sucked into fear. And we give our answers with gentleness and respect for the hope that we have that's carrying us through these uncertain times. We have a clear conscience. People are still going to speak maliciously against you. And you're probably, it's a very good possibility that you will still suffer for doing good. And he says, because you got to realize Christ suffered once for sin. The righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. He did nothing but good and he still died and he still suffered. He was put to death in the body but made alive in the spirit. Jesus' obedience resulted in his death. Our our, sometimes I just can't speak, our obedience might very well end in our death. It's a possibility. Uh, We're living in a world that in the end doesn't like us much. Right? He was put to death in the body but made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits. I don't know everything that this means, but I know this. Our Savior had a mission after he died here. It's something to do after he died here. I think this is hinting at the fact that even if we die here, we're not done living. There's going to be something for us to do there. We are going to have something to do there. So death is not the cessation of our existence or our being. It's a doorway we walk through into whatever God has for us next. Jesus had something to do after he died. We're going to be the same. I really believe that. He made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits for to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. And in it, the ark, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. Noah and his family escaped the terror of death through the ark. Just as we escape the terror of death through Jesus. It, it, the story of the ark has always fascinated me. And I, again, I have this huge imagination. Noah, for 100 years, is building this big boat in the middle of a place that's never seen rain. His neighbors had to think he was absolutely stark raving mad. Uh, and when the destruction came, earthquakes, the earth ripping apart, the tsunamis, the storm, the waves, the wind. It had to be so incredibly terrifying in so many ways. Yet, the very thing that destroyed the earth bore Noah and his family in the ark to safety. The very thing which terrifies people, death, is the very vehicle that carries us into the presence of God. That's why I can truthfully say I'm not afraid to die. That's not to say I'm not a little bit afraid of how that happens. 
I'm not a big fan of pain, especially mine. But just as the, the thing that destroyed the earth bore Noah and his family to safety, the very thing that most people fear the most, death, is the very thing that bears us up and takes us into the presence of God. The very thing that announced God's judgment in a wicked world was the very thing that Noah and his family rode through via the ark to their salvation. And this was this water symbolizes baptism that saves us. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. Because many, because you have believed him and not the things and the conspiracies that everyone around you feared. Because your hope is in Christ and you're not focused on the fears and conspiracies that those around you are all wrapped up in. There's a clear conscience there. And it saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. This world and its conspiracies and fear mongering are not what we're to pay attention to. Jesus is Lord of all. This is Peter's message to this point. We are exiles and ill-fitted to the land we find ourselves in. Do you think it's any mystery why when people from Italy first came to America and settled in New York that they set up a community that we call Little Italy because their culture was precious to them? And they didn't want to lose touch with who they were as a people, as Italian. Same thing with China. Chinatown in San Francisco. It's like you're stepping back in time sometimes and stepping into a totally, completely different culture. China, Chinese people felt it necessary and desirable to hang on to the things that made them unique as a people. And so little Chinatown, Chinatown, little Italy, communities like that within the community, the larger community, maintains their culture. Peter is talking to a group of people for maintaining their culture within a culture that might be hostile to it, which could very well become hostile to it, and which in fact was becoming hostile to it more and more. Rome was becoming more and more disenfranchised, dissatisfied with Israel, and was turning its ire and its rage more and more towards Christianity. And so Peter's telling these people that are stuck in the middle of this society that that is full of conspiracy theories and fears, said, don't get sucked into that. Remember to whom you belong. Jesus is Lord of all. God is sovereign. Live a life that does not become inundated with fear. Live a life that's not focused on conspiracies. Live a life that's not focused on what the world around you is focused on. We are citizens of a different country different world. 
I love what Peter's writing here. And this speaks so much to me. There's a lot for me to think on here. And with that, I think I'm just going to shut the door in today and say, hey, here's my coffee. I'm Paige. Have a great and glorious day. I'm out of here. Bye-bye.